0: Hey guys, it's time for Nina's Got Good News. Nina's a former TV news gal who used to share all the news. Now, as a mom and small businesswoman, she wants to share only the good stuff. It's time to brighten your day. So here's your host, Nina B. Clark. Hi, everyone. How are you?
1: Thank you guys so much for coming back. Thank you guys always for showing up and supporting positive stories and positive people and good news in the audio space. So here we are. Oh my gosh, happy holidays to everyone. We're here at the end of 2021. I can't believe it's it feels like this year is like 10 years wrapped in one. But the past 12 months have been quite a roller coaster for all of us, that's for sure. I know we've all been through so much but hopefully we've also learned so much too. And I do hope that we're all looking forward to 2022 with optimism and a positive attitude because I know I definitely am. So here we are. Today's episode, it's podcast number 95. It features the year 2021, the year in review. I caught up with a seasoned journalist who is carving out a brand new role for himself as a news concierge of sorts on social media. That's right. It is so fascinating how the COVID pandemic has caused so many people to change jobs and also to see how many people have embraced that career pivot, including my guest today. Moshe Wanunu is an award-winning journalist. He is simply Moshe on Instagram. His account literally blew up during COVID. You guys are gonna love listening to him and learning from him. We worked together at Fox News Channel many, many moons ago. You're going to love our conversation about finding the good in the current state of the news business, as well as our favorite good news story of the year 2021. Yes, there are some, there was some good news. You're not going to want to miss this episode. But before we get to my interview with Moshe, here's a quick word from today's sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by a top realtor right here in my home state of Connecticut. Lisa Migliardi from Compass in Greenwich is in the top 1% of agents in Connecticut. With everything going on right now in the red hot market, it is more important than ever to hire a realtor who knows the ins and outs of the market, and that is Lisa Migliardi. Her expert knowledge of Greenwich is impressive with her town roots spanning four generations. Her love and passion for real estate is infectious, and her previous work, with a luxury design firm, makes her stand out from so many others. I am so excited that today's episode is sponsored by Lisa and her Instagram is at Greenwich Homes CT. That's at Greenwich Homes CT. She is a must follow for anyone who is considering buying or selling a home in Connecticut. So let's all go check out at Greenwich Homes CT. And as you all know, women supporting women, is absolutely good news approved. And that is why we are so happy to be working with Lisa on today's episode, podcast number 95. Now let's get to my recent conversation with Moshe Wanunu, also known on Instagram as just at Moshe from New York City. Happy listening. And Moshe Wanunu joins me now from New York. Hey, Moshe, how are you? It's so good to see you.
0: Hey, that's so great to be with you.
1: How's it going?
0: It's going really a well.
1: Have you had a good year? <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, it's all That's relative a loaded these question. days. Yeah. It's all relative these days. I was looking at a meme recently of like the coronavirus. It was like, you thought you got rid of me in 2020 or 2021? I'm joining you in 2022. I'm like, oh God, another oh God. one
1: Here we go. Here we, <laughs> oh, go. here we go. I know. Okay. We <laughs> all thought 2021 was going to be so much better, right? Um, So Moshe give everyone a little first of all tell us a little bit quickly about your first name because um, you and I worked together at Fox news way a million years ago like a lifetime ago, Um, but I always um, remembered you because of your name so tell everyone a little bit about your first name Moshe.
0: Yeah, just to give people a reference, we worked together at Fox when we were all using Blackberries, and you <laughs> informed me that you had a pager, uh, and I had a flip oh phone. I know, <laughs> um, we're so old. So my name is Moshe Wanunu, which has been a character-building exercise growing up in America with, with that name. My father is actually originally from Marrakesh, Morocco, um, a Jewish uh, Moroccan, and so Moshe is basically Moses, but in Hebrew. Uh, Wanunu is a Moroccan Jewish last name. And actually there's so many Wanunus in Morocco, we're not related to half of them. Most of them have now left. Uh, And then my dad ended up in the U.S. uh, where I've grown up for the most part.
1: Okay, that's awesome. Such a great story. I love getting the backstory because your name and on Instagram, it's just your first name. So it's so cool. But tell everyone a little bit about you, Moshe, because obviously I know you, I know your background. Um, we both have this long history in television news at, at many different places, but tell everyone a little bit about your background.
0: Sure. So my, uh, my parents like to tell the story that at age five, we lived above an ice cream shop uh, just outside Chicago, and they'd give me 50 cents because that's what it cost back then to get an ice cream cone. And uh, I would come back with the Chicago Tribune from the dispenser outside so i had an interest in news at a very young age uh, apparently and so that grew over time i went to college and um it was really a seminal moment i was interning on capitol hill and happened to happen to be 9 11 and evacuated the Capitol and got back to campus and and um was part of the campus newspaper and was went out and rode a bike out to the pentagon to go cover that for the college newspaper and so to me i was like journalism is, is where it's at i need to i need to be on the front lines carry a press pass around. And so started out at Fox where uh, we worked together, um, spent a number of years at Fox covering politics, covering Washington, uh, where, uh, started out as a researcher for Chris Wallace who hosts the Sunday morning show and had a great respect love, for we him. We love you
1: Chris, we love you
0: Chris. We, we love Chris, learned to thoroughly research, We learned to thoroughly research both sides, challenge both sides. And that is something I appreciated about that experience. Spent a year plus out on the campaign trail in 08, Uh, covering the Republican primary, spent almost a year with John McCain, uh, covering that race, spent some time on Capitol Hill, moved up to New York for Bloomberg Television, covering international business news, had the opportunity to cover the Fukushima nuclear meltdown in Japan for a month, um, and a variety of global stories when we dealt with the last recession, Uh, moved over to CBS News to help launch a morning show, uh, launched their digital 24-hour channel, CBSN, ran CBS Evening News in what was its 70th year on the air it launched in August of 1948 so still these days the 630 news still incredibly between the three shows nearly 20 million Americans watch those shows every night um and then uh went out on my own about 2 years ago uh to consult for media companies digital media and then as covid happened in 2020 took to instagram start to curate headlines and news for friends and family uh my my wife and girlfriend time encouraged me to go public she's like other people should see what you're posting there what i thought was a temporary um solution to my quarantine boredom and stress turned into a day-to-day news curation um what's now become a business uh and you know have a growing audience there and looking to launch new platforms next year but ultimately what i'm trying to do is uh, provide insight and analysis in a bite-sized way on um, social media, in particular right now, Instagram, for an audience of folks who don't know who to trust anymore and see a lot of misleading information and headlines. So I try to just break down what we actually know.
1: Yeah, there's so much to talk about. Um, um Just from that, those last couple sentences, it's so amazing. And by the way, you literally are like giving me all my news now because, which is, uh, you know, it's it's hard for me. a lot me of pressure, a, Nina. I know there's so much pressure, but you know, as someone who was such a news junkie for so many years, I found myself, um, you know, it's just, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. I know that I've heard from so many friends and family who feel the same way, which is what led me in 2018 to start a good news podcast because I just felt like it was too much. And um, the good news is now we can follow people like Moshe and he can sort of break it down and give us the real, real, but tell everyone like how exactly, like, how does the average person out there now in this, in this moment in time, how do they find unbiased news? Because I think it's getting harder and harder.
0: Yeah. I mean, it ultimately, you know, part of the challenge is. There's some overt partisan press, right? There's some media that's like, we're a conservative outlet, we're a liberal outlet. And then there's a whole bunch of media outlets that for years have said, we provide objective news. You know, we're totally fair. But inherent in any coverage, you know, it's it's hard, Nina, because I would say number one, you can't find unbiased news. All news has some semblance of bias, right? Based on who the reporter was, who the editor is, how much space they gave it, what access they had. You know, like literally it might be biased, not intentionally, but because one side of the story was not accessible, right? Was not speaking out. And so, you know, ultimately it's it's ironic because we've never had this much information at our fingertips. It's never been this easy to get information. And yet at the same time, uh, it's challenging to break through it all. And it also comes at a time when people need to recognize that for the most part, most media outlets are for profit, private business. They benefit from clicks. So the headlines and stories that they prioritize, there's inherent business in there, which is like they need you to click and watch. So what does that mean? That conflict is emphasized, that the worst case scenario is emphasized. Um, And, you know, because ultimately, like, are you going to tune in if it was like, no, it was 70 degrees and nice today. No, we got to talk about the storm coming this weekend. Right. Um, And by the way, that's vital information. But I only say that in that you choose as a journalist, you choose as an editor, you choose as a producer, what to emphasize around what is most interesting, what is most new and frankly, what you think um, uh, people will watch. And so I know I'm really taking a long way to answer your question, uh, but I only I wanna frame that for folks so they understand some of the challenges there. Um, I would say this, that to the extent that, um, Folks can, if they're interested in a particular story, access multiple sources. Um, there's a chart, and I know it might look overwhelming if you go to it by a company called Ad Fontes, A D F O N T E S, and they've put together a media bias chart where they've literally charted like 2,000 organizations around the world uh, by reliability and by political slant. So you can see: is this far right? Is this far left? left is the center. And then if it's center, is it low on the reliability or high on the reliability scale? And that's a place you could turn to if you haven't heard of an organization before that you're like, oh, this, this one seems to be, you know, relatively towards the center and pretty reliable. This is something I can trust, but something I would say to folks is if they're seeing something that's too crazy to be believed or something that's really upsetting them, check the source, Google the source, uh, because, Nine times out of ten, somebody will send me something on Instagram. Like, yeah, why are you reporting this? And I'm like, you're giving me something from news.com. Like, that's not a thing. They don't exist. I've never heard of them before. So, like, there's a lot of misinformation and disinformation out there.
1: So, how do you decide what you're going to put on? I know you 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 say on your feed, you know, verified sources. So, what does that mean? Do you have like? you know, because you're, you know, you, you really do know about research and fact checking, but do you say like, it has to be, you know, three verified sources, you know, is that, is that your like litmus test or what is your,
0: it's more an art than a science. I mean, I think there's a couple of things like, you know, as someone else who's worked in this profession, you know, there's like, okay, if the Associated Press is reporting it or the Wall Street Journal is reporting it, uh, you know, there's various kind of like more traditional, like legitimate, media organizations that you know have standards, right? Like they don't just publish anything. Um, I tend to trust it more. Then I look at the sourcing in it. Is it one anonymous source or is it an on-the-record source? And by on-the-record, did somebody put their name when they said, we report this based on X is telling us versus two sources tell the associated press the following? Um, So that's something to look at. You know, at the same time, like, you know, I'll go to the New York Post and the Daily Mail, but I know that their sourcing methods methods at that place are uh, uh, much less robust Uh, at the same time um, that does allow them to report some things first. And so when I see that and then I see stuff happening on on Twitter and other social media, like, no, they they have it. It's just that it hasn't met the standard of the Washington Post, but I'm not going to wait two days for the Washington Post to figure it out. Like people, this is of high interest, but then I'll try to couch it. So I think it's a matter of like, is it multiple places? What is the level of sourcing? What is the history of this organization? What is the history of this reporter? Because as someone who's been in this profession for 20 years, I know some of these reporters and I'm like, this one, I trust. I know they have good sources. This one, uh, half their stories don't work out. And so that's something that I take into.
1: I know the good news is you kind of know everyone, which is so good, Moshe. Um, (laughs) Tell us just because I'm fascinated by this, because obviously I do a lot of of, uh, stuff on Instagram too, but people always ask me, and especially with you in particularly for you, how is Moshe making money doing this on Instagram?
0: So initially none, um, you know, it, it again, like this wasn't meant as a money-making endeavor. This was meant as a, like, let me try to, at the height of COVID reassure, uh, friends and family that like they're not going to shut down all the bridges to New York, okay? Which, by the way, turns out was a Chinese intelligence disinformation campaign via text message that we would find out later. We, you know, everyone's like, well, my friend's dad in the military. I was like, nope, everyone apparently this week has a friend's dad in the military saying the same thing. Doesn't sound real. Um, introduce me to this friend's dad because I think they don't exist. And so, anyway, the Instagram thing, honestly, Twitter seemed like oversaturated and is, and just like the kind of nasty place. And Instagram seemed like a fresh place. And I liked Instagram stories because it's the only thing left in tech where you can do something chronologically. You can tell a story like a journalist where like this happened, oh, and we have an update and then something else happened. Whereas everything else in social media is an algorithm based on what they think you'll like. So everything's out of order. So I like the, like being able to do stuff in order. I thought that was cool. So there was no money there necessarily. Um, after doing it for six months last year, you know, I was reluctant, but then said, like, guys, you know, if anyone likes what I'm doing here and wants me to continue, like I'm opening up a Patreon account, which is a GoFundMe essentially for creators. Uh, and if you're interested in supporting what we're doing, like, you know, donate. And found hundreds and hundreds of people who like said, you know what? You know, I'll give you $5. I'll give you more than that. You know, I've gotten a whole variety of things. I know, I sent you
1: a Venmo. I was like, this is so weird, but I love you, Mosa.
0: I sent you a Venmo. <laughs> Thank you. And so anyway, so that, I was like, oh, I'm like providing a service and people are willing to pay for a service. So that has now led me this year. I I got enough of a following now, Um, you know, last year at this time I was at about 20,000 followers. This year I'm at more more than 170,000 followers. And so now advertisers are involved, uh, you know, reaching out and saying, hey, how much to, you know, post X. Now, obviously as as a news account, I'm very cautious about ads. Uh, and what sort of organizations, but at the same time, like for the last hundred years, radio news, television news, newspapers, they take advertising. Podcasts so, do too, Moshe. So thought, and <laughs> uh, let me know when we need to pause for messages on this. Yeah, one, exactly. You know? <laughs> exactly. And so starting slowly but surely there. Um, and thankfully, you know, I, I had the good fortune of being able to interview the head of Instagram, Adam Masseri, earlier this year. Uh, and he recognizes and Instagram has started to make moves to allow creators to monetize. Now, lifestyle content and fashion and beauty tend to do much better on the platform. It's more conducive to that. But, you know, there will be, God willing, you know, in the next year or two opportunities to create kind of a, a subscription account for, you know, extra content, etc. cetera. And so it's a work in progress.
1: Yeah, that's so cool. I love that. I love hearing the backstory in that because it's just so fascinating um, for all my blogger and Instagram influencer friends out there. We all love to just learn more about all that stuff. So Moshe, what do you what do you think is um, because you're such an expert on this? Like what is the state of the news business right now? I know a lot of our friends are now have now jumped over to streaming services. I'm sure you know you have a lot of friends doing that. I do too which is very, you know, for, for people like you and me, who've been journalists for a long time, this is like a whole new thing. Right. And I'm, a lot of my friends are like, well, what does that even mean? And I'm like, well, it's, it's this whole new thing, this streaming. Um, So what is, what is when someone says to you, Moshe, what is your take on the state of the news business right now, including local news?
0: Yeah. Well, long, I'll Sorry. try to answer this as briefly as possible. I know. We can talk for
1: like two hours on this.
0: Totally. Uh, it'll be like a Joe Rogan style podcast. We'll go for four and a half hours and hopefully these, li- all of you listening, stay tuned. Um, so um, the state of the news. Um, I think that I am um, concerned, but also cautiously optimistic. And I have, you know, reason to um, fret and I have a reason to be optimistic. Why? So ultimately, there's traditional media, right? The New York Times and the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and um, the major networks. They ain't going anywhere. Um, you know, they have models that work. Newspapers really struggled. You know, they gave away their content for free for like the first 15 years of the internet. Uh, they, in some ways, dealing with the same issues the music industry dealt with, with like the advent of Napster. Like peak peak music sales and peak jur- journalists working in America were within a year of each other in 2000, 2001. Since 2001, like there's less journalists working year by year by year, less news outlets, et cetera. In fact, there's now 200 counties in America that don't have a newspaper anymore because journalism, uh, major institutions had a antiquated business model that did not adapt to the digital era. Many of your listeners will remember that there was a time you opened up the classified ads in the newspaper to buy a home, to find a job, to sell something? Um, well, a website named Craigslist comes around. That grows in the late 90s. Many newspapers saw more than 50% of their revenue from classified ads. Um, they have never found a way to replace that. Now add to that, um, you know, not charging subscriptions initially, well, it's the internet, you know, who's going to pay for that? Okay, well, you've now reinforced to people, they don't need to pay for that. What's good about the past couple of years is, you know, we were just talking about my Instagram feed, like people are willing to pay for good content, right? People are willing to pay for um, good information. And so you've now seen, you know, various news outlets. uh, Some do better than worse on subscriptions. You saw some of the magazine industry, I mean, the magazine industry is still kind of a a sorry state right now, but the New Yorker, Atlantic, uh, Wired Magazine, there's been a handful of magazines that have figured out subscription. and then uh, news outlets, the major national ones are okay. The local ones are in trouble. And the local newspapers, many people might not know this. Some of them are owned, like hundreds of them together are owned by one company. Some of those companies are hedge funds, like one called Alden Capital that owns the Chicago Tribune, the Orlando Sentinel, the Baltimore Sun. These were once great newspapers. I mean, I grew up in Chicago and it was a great newspaper, not anymore, because now you have a hedge fund who's like, we're trying to make a profit off this newspaper. And we're going to cut it to the bone, and we don't care about the journalism. We just want the bottom line, and so that concerns me for local news. Interestingly, if this build back better, uh, there's provision in it that may go through in the uh, bill, and I think it would provide almost two billion to local news. I view that as a bridge, not as a solution, because ultimately you got to fix the business model. So I think that local concerns. mean and why is local important? Well, for anyone listening, like. Local news is who covers the mayor if they're corrupt. Local news is who covers the company down the street that might be polluting. Well, if you don't have a local news outlet, God bless the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and the AP, but like they're focused on major international events. They might cover a local story, but like they're not focused on the school board every day. And so that concerns me about local news. And then we brings us to television news. So the network's it's just managing decline at this point in terms of audience. The average viewer of a network newscast or cable news is above 65. More than half of viewers of cable news are over 70. Those people are not being replaced by the next generation, which then brings us to streaming, right? Which is why everyone has a plus or a, you know CNN plus or you know streaming this um, Max. You know, like there's a like three words you can put at the end of your name to indicate it's a streaming channel, and so they're all figuring that out and trying to ensure that. They have a future on streaming platforms, which is going to just become as crowded and has as your cable system, right? We complain about having 400 channels, 380 of which we don't watch. Well, streaming is basically that at this point. And the issue they have in streaming is that advertisers, we talked earlier about these companies being dependent on advertising, aren't paying the same dollars for streaming as they're paying for broadcast. So then they can't afford you know, hiring for journalists to cover a story. Uh, they might be able to afford one, or that person might need to do it from their desk in New York and not actually fly to the story. Mm-hmm. So, I know that sounds a bit negative, and that's not the theme of this podcast. Um, but I will say that technology um, has a way of um, inspiring innovation and entrepreneurs. And I think that one of the positive themes of this year and previous last couple of years is Substack and podcasting and Instagram and Twitter were individuals don't need to work for a major news organization and go through 15 applications and get people coffee to do what they wanna do. Now pending they have proper training and they know what they're doing, Um, that everyone is their own broadcaster these days. That's good and that's bad.
1: Yeah, if you have a phone, right?
0: Yeah, if you have a phone, you're a journalist. I mean, who got, I, I think one of the prizes last year went to the woman who shot the video of the George Floyd incident, right? a journalism award went to that woman because she happened to have her cell phone. She's just a person passing by, but everyone now with their cell phones um, is a journalist, right? You tweet something out, an observation, etc. please verify it. <laughs> but um, but I would say that that's inspiring and that will allow, you know, I when I talk to students now, I didn't have that 20 years ago going into journalism. I had to go apply and go up through the ranks. And now I'm like, and you, you can start your own account and you probably have a million followers on your TikTok account. You can be, you can be your own broadcasters. You're your own NBC. You don't need to work for NBC.
1: Right. Is that what you're telling them? That's such good advice. I think that's cool. Especially with TikTok, I, right?
0: I just want to know people. I just want people to know their options. You know, I have the yeah. same conversation with journalism schools. You know, people may not know there's some people who will get a master's in journalism. Those master's degrees from like places like Columbia, Northwestern, can cost you fifty thousand dollars. I know, and there's good to that, right? You learn from some of the best in the business, but ultimately, like, also ensure. And I've told the folks at some of those schools, like, please be training these kids for the price they're paying on all these new media platforms, on storytelling, on TikTok, and how to do news on Snapchat and vertically oriented video. I mean, there's a whole bunch of the technology has evolved. And we have to evolve what we're doing and how we're telling those stories to the platform to be relevant, because otherwise people are going to seek out miss. You know, like I get these messages on Instagram, they're like, Can you verify this? I was like, This is a hairdresser talking about the Epstein trial. Like they might be informed, but like, I wouldn't, like, but this is people are seeking, are desperate for for content. People are desperate for information and they're going to do it on the platform of their choice. So we need to ensure that there's good journalism happening on all these platforms.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. And I love that you support local news because that's where I started. So I am with you on on all the the local news supporting them. It's so important. So Moshe, let's break down
0: Oh, what? No, it's it's so vital. And then people will message me being like, well, I don't like my local newspaper. And I'm like, well, if you don't subscribe to the newspaper, it's only going to get worse.
1: Right, right. Exactly. I know. It's so true. It's so true. No, that's good advice. So let's break down your, um, it's been quite a year, as we said at the beginning, it's, it's been quite a year. I feel like it's been 10 years wrapped in one. Um, but what are your top five news stories of the year 2021, Moshe? What, are your, what makes your top five? I know it's a lot because there's been a lot, but yeah. what are your top five? Let's break them and, down.
0: And each of these, by the way, we could do a show on. Um, totally. So top five stories. Um, In no particular order, but we're going to begin with probably the biggest story of the year that changed the trajectory of how we're dealing with the virus, global economy, and that is the vaccine breakthroughs um, and the vaccine distribution. Um, Half the world has now gotten the vaccine. We're nearly 50% of nearly 7 billion people. That's half good and half bad, but that's incredible given where we were at this time last year. When... We weren't sure about approval. We weren't sure about manufacturing. Now, you know, it's one of the reasons Merriam-Webster made vaccine the word of the year. And in particular, what's exciting is, well, we know we're gonna be dealing with COVID or variations, variants of COVID for a while now. I think we're more than halfway through the Greek alphabet, unfortunately. 13 letters left, 12 letters left, um, as far as variants are concerned. At the same time, the technology associated with some of those vaccines, the mRNA technology, is able to be quickly adapted. Um, And what's exciting about the technology, I think, looking ahead to the future, is this mRNA technology that is being used in the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, at least. Um, It basically sends specialized instructions to our cells uh, how to manufacture specific proteins. That Technology has been in development for 20 years now, and they're already going through phases on vaccines related to personalized cancer vaccines, uh, related to colorectal cancer. They're looking at um, what it means for an HIV vaccine, uh, malaria. Um, and so the technology associated with the vaccine breakthrough could really change the game and will change the game for years to come when it comes to a number of diseases, illnesses, and viruses that have been afflicting us for, you know, since the beginning of time.
1: Yeah, that's such good news. Okay, what's your next one, Moshe?
0: Story number two of the year um, is the economy. Um, And there's various elements there. Um, I'm hoping that everyone listening will have their uh, gifts in time for Christmas, um, because the supply chain has certainly been an issue. Um, A lot related to the economy is all COVID-related, right? When the entire global economy has to shut down, and companies have a supply chain of parts, and that shuts down, and then... People now need completely different things than they needed before. You know, Companies are able to anticipate until 2020, this is when people buy cars. This is when they need toilet paper. This is how many paper towels that the average person needs. This is when they buy food. This is like um, egg crates, right? Like we had egg shortages, why? Because like people bought this many dozen eggs and restaurants bought big things of eggs, right? Well, when restaurants shut down for a couple of months, everyone needed more eggs in a dozen sized containers. So the global supply chain you know, COVID freezes that. And so that then meant that a bunch of, um, you know, a, a bunch of the uh, shipping containers that typically would end up in certain places that you could anticipate are now in the wrong place because China built a bunch of masks, put them in shipping containers, sent them around the world. and Now the shipping containers are in the wrong place. So there's been this huge domino effect when it comes to supply chain. So that's a theme and we're gonna be dealing with that next year. Secondly, you know, closer to home, we're dealing with inflation at levels that we haven't seen in, in 20 years. Um, and so that's been a huge issue, whether it's gas prices, uh, grocery prices, et cetera, for folks. Um, and then there's the good and the bad related to what we're calling the great resignation, which is you know, that you know, unemployment in Nebraska is at 1.9%. We've never seen it so low, but people are desperate from, you know, there's a bunch of businesses looking for workers, and there's a bunch of people who are looking to do something different. And part of that has to do with folks saying, like, I didn't like my job before, and COVID has reset my priorities. In some cases, COVID has meant that my kids are now home, and I have to quit my job, and that's very unfortunate that that situation is happening. But at the same time, overall, the Great Resignation has reset for a lot of folks. You know, we're talking about entrepreneuring. You know, news on Instagram that like it's made people entrepreneurial, made people open to starting their own businesses. You know, they have passions. You know, we dealt with this once in a lifetime, hopefully once in a lifetime crisis. Uh, which is like people like, well, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? Am I happy doing what I was? But clearly a lot of people were not, um, and they want to try something different. So the great resignation, uh, both as a, um, serious issue related to COVID, but also as a a reset for folks who are like, what, if I'm going to work every day for the next, however many years, what do I want to be doing with that? Or what do I want to be doing with on the side that I'm passionate about? You know, life is, um, Life is like that. So I think those are among the economy themes I would have grouped into 2021.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. And right. And there's staff shortages still everywhere, everywhere you go. It's crazy. So what's the next big story of 2021?
0: So related to that great resignation, uh, entrepreneurial, like what am I happy with, etc. I think the story of 2021 to me, one of the stories was um, a prioritization of mental health. Um, And we saw a number of prominent um, athletes um, and celebrities be open about their mental health in a way that I don't think I've seen in such a concerted way. In a matter of a couple of weeks this summer, you saw Naomi Osaka withdraw from uh, major tournaments. You saw Simone Biles at the Olympics pull out. And, you know, I think what was positive about that was that for the most part, the reaction was positive. You know, like there was, there were certainly critics who were like, you're a copy of your profession. You should be able to deal with it. You know, just, you know, you're at the Olympics, like the country's depending on you. Well, for the most part, people were like, no, I understand, you know, that, um, mental health should come first. And if you're not in a good place on that stuff, um, then, you know, you need to take a moment and take a pause. And so whether it's the Osaka, um, interviews, the Simone Biles, you saw on outside of sports, Megan Barkle talk about mental health in a way we haven't seen Royals or I guess former Royals talk about with Oprah, um, that, you know, you shouldn't brush it under the rug. And I think for all of us dealing with COVID ongoing, um, that it's taken a toll whether we want to overtly acknowledge it or not. And I think having prominent, uh, people out there and have a, you know, mainly positive reaction to that, I think is, is a positive in- influence on, on all of us.
1: Yeah, that's so true, it's such a good point. Okay, what's your next big story, Moshe?
0: So we're gonna go abroad, um, and it uh, foreign policy, which is a, a passionate subject for me, um, the Afghanistan withdrawal in August. Um, well, I guess over several months, uh, but obviously as it came to a head in August, really spoke to me about where what the US's role should be in the world. You know, the, the Afghanistan story really drew to a close, at least the most recent 20 year story. I mean, you, you talk about Afghanistan, you have several thousand years of history there of, uh, of invasions and war and et cetera. But as far as the US role in Afghanistan, which began just after 9 11, <clears throat> at least this most recent time, and lasted for about 20 years, the pullout there um, and our anticipated pullout completely from Iraq um, in the coming weeks and months um, really closes the chapter of. It, US government, at least this time around saying, you know, we're, we're here to fix the world <laughs> to the extent that we can keep peace in the world, which I think empires before, whether it was the, the British most recently, uh, find that you can try to do it for a certain amount of time, but it becomes costly, both in terms of uh, co- uh, monetarily, but also lives, um, attention span. And when you look closer to home, um, you know, there are issues in this country that we need to face. And it's not to say that the US doesn't serve an important role as a uh, pushing human rights uh, and democracy abroad. But what is the limit of our power? And to what extent do other countries want us involved in their affairs? And so I think the Afghanistan storing withdrawal, it'll be very interesting to see kind of what this next chapter coming out of the Trump administration and the Biden administration uh, will be when it comes to US and, and what our stance is in the world that we've really been pretty consistently the power superpower since the end of World War II, right?
1: Mm-hmm. So true. Okay, and what's your last one, Moshe?
0: Last one, we're gonna go from abroad and we're now gonna go into the solar system, into beyond the atmosphere and its space. Um, I think that the story of um, private space travel this year, whether it's Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, uh, SpaceX, um, Elon Musk's company um, all making significant, um, uh, significant breakthroughs this year. Uh, you know, regular people can go into space with no astronaut experience. That's pretty incredible. I what know does that mean, it blows Donald? your
1: mind, doesn't it?
0: Right. They're like, we took this, you know, woman from St. Jude's, and we put her into space after a week of training. You're like, this used to be like, you know, the uh, what, what was it? The right stuff. What yeah. Was the famous uh, yeah, like you know, like you were the best in the brightest and physically rigorous and you're spending years and now it's like, you want to go into space? Write us a check. Um, you know, which is right now very costly. The average person cannot go into space. But what it means is the way that the private, in the, you know, the private sector has now revolutionized space. I don't know what we see in five years, 10 years, 20 years. It could be fascinating to see where this goes. You know, we know that some of the technologies we have today were developed in space by NASA. So the fact that more and more people can get up there will be great. And then the one the one space related story that I'm fascinated by was the launch um, in November of a probe that we are going to crash into an asteroid. Uh, so guys stay tuned sometime between September 26th and October 1st next year, we will be crashing into an asteroid that's 6.8 million miles away, a la the movie Armageddon, to see if we can divert it. And just in case, by the way, the dinosaurs 68 million years ago went down because of one of these things. So we're trying to build a, effectively a defense system that Bruce Willis would have <laughs> been featured in the mid nineties in the movie to literally you know, blow a rock off its course. And that'll oh be interesting God. to watch.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. going to be so cool, right? We can all geek out on that. I love that. It's like a, so good for all the science geeks out there. Well, Um, and just like,
0: it blows the mind that like we can aim something that's traveling at like a hundred thousand miles per hour, 6.8 million miles away and like hit it, like I mean, I took physics. I think I got a B plus junior year of high school in it. But like, man, power to these people who can calculate. This good stuff.
1: job on the B plus, by the way. I think I got Thank a C. You. So good job, Moshe. <laughs> so Moshe, because we're we're all about good news here, of course. What is your favorite good news story of the year of 2021? What's your favorite good news story of the year?
0: Nina, I think we can agree that uh, free Britney Spears. Um, Love her. Is... Uh, Love her, uh, happy belated uh, 40th birthday to Britney uh, this month, which ages all of us a certain way. But um, I will say that the, the arc of that narrative, you know, if you look in 2020 at the free Britney movement, it was like a, literally called a conspiracy theory by some people. And the fact that average folks out there were like, well, what is up? Like, why is her dad still in charge of her life? Like she can't control her social media feed. Like what is happening? with Britney and in less than a year, like documentary comes out, there's some court cases and she's out there getting engaged, you know like li- living her life for the first time. She missed an entire decade plus of her life.
1: I know it's amazing. And she owes it all to her fans. It's like that shows you the power of the people, right? Yes. It's just incredible. grassroots grassroots, grassroots can make a
0: difference. I know. I mean, and that's a theme, a theme I think more and more with technology is like Average people can have an impact. Average people yeah. can make a difference. Average people sometimes working together in concert with other folks can make a huge difference. And in this case, it raise awareness. Yeah, Raise awareness for what was a very prominent celebrity mm-hmm. who somehow, you know, no one in traditional media was really covering the story. And it really took people out there, you know, calling attention to it for the media to pay attention to it. And then, I, and then eventually the courts to pay attention to it.
1: Yeah. It's amazing. Love you, Brittany. So Moshe, what happens to you with, um, with work? What happens to you if Instagram goes away tomorrow, what happens?
0: Well, it's funny. You should mention that I am in process right now of launching both a podcast and a, um, newsletter. So I'm hoping to continue to grow, um, what we're doing, but on multiple platforms, not to be you know stuck, not, I would say stuck, but not just like limited to pigeonholing.
1: Yeah. Putting all your <laughs> yeah. eggs in one basket.
0: Yeah. And, and as we know about platforms is on any given day, they can change their algorithm. They can change. They're like, we're not doing X anymore. Um, and so that's, it's important to, if you're a creator to ensure you have, you know, multiple avenues at getting to an audience.
1: Yeah. Okay. So is so. that what's coming up for you in 2022, a newsletter and a podcast? Exactly. Okay. And what's the podcast going to be?
0: Um, give na- we're gonna give try a to name break yet? Down. Uh, We're actually working on a couple names okay. right now. Okay. Um so Love stay that. tuned. We're gonna have people vote on the uh, on the Instagram account. Yes, um, good idea. Yeah. We're, okay. we're democratizing it. Though if I don't like the decision, we'll see if we uh we override it. But no, I can't, I can't. Um so we're the goal with the newsletter every day is to hit a couple of the key headlines, but really try to break down one subject in earnest, yeah. you know, whether it's the you know, supply chain or economy or vaccines or Omicron or whatever it is and take a moment and really break down uh, a story that might have a lot of different headlines.
1: Right. I mean, it might be about Brittany who knows, right? Okay. I love it.
0: Brittany is most certain to make the newsletter next.
1: Yes. Okay. I love it. Okay. Well, Moshe, thanks so much. Tell everyone about your Instagram and spell it because you know, everyone's going to be like, how do you spell Moshe's name?
0: Well that, really uh, that would
1: be like my mom. She's gonna be like, how do you spell his name, Nina? <laughs> well, I,
0: I've been telling people on Instagram stories. Uh, typically people are, are parents' age, like they're like, I can't read everything by the time it, it goes away. I'm like, well, if you on a story, if you hold the screen down, you or you take a screenshot, you can spend all day with it. Um so my Instagram account is just my first name at M O S H E H at Mosha, M O S H E H. Uh, typically, post about three to four dozen stories a day, you know, ranging in topics from tech to business to Britney Spears to world affairs to you know interesting historical events that happen that day, and then um, you know, and I try to be as engaged as possible. and In many cases, I might get a lot of direct messages about one subject, which will then. I love the interaction where I'm like, oh, I didn't notice that story, but a number of you are very interested in it. I will dive deep into that for you. So I do that over at my Instagram at M-O-S-H-E-H.
1: I love it. It's so great. I love following you and your wife. She's so, you guys are the cutest couple. So <laughs> both entrepreneurs. She's the best. I'm yeah, a very lucky man. Yes, yeah. of course you are. You married up, Moshe. I love it. Um, well, yeah. listen, Moshe, happy new year. Thanks for joining us and sharing all the good news. And just, I love hearing about all your entrepreneurial ventures. And I just love seeing you crush it on Instagram. It's so much fun. And um, to all our friends in TV news, we all love you, but um, we're we're happy to now be doing something else. We'll,
0: we're, we're welcoming you when, when you're ready to come to the next um, technology and next platform. Nina and I welcome you.
1: Yes, exactly. All right, Moshe, thanks again so much. Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year, Nina. Thank you for listening to my mom's podcast. Remember, you can find Nina's Got Good News on iTunes and Spotify. Also on Google Play, Stitcher, and Outcast. And now we are also on Pandora. Please be sure to subscribe. Also, rate and review all her podcasts, too. And be sure to share it with a friend. The mission of this podcast is to get better together as a community in the audio space. Please follow my mom on Instagram. Her handle is Nina B. Clark. Don't forget, Clark has an E at the end of it. For now, I'm Blaine Clark. Thank you again for listening, and let's just keep being awesome. XOXL.